Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but the annuals don't count. Well, welcome, everybody, to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk. Mark, why don't you tell everybody about how they can subscribe to the show? Absolutely. If you all want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, you can subscribe to Amazing Spider-Talk on your favorite podcast app. There you will find every other week we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. That makes this the perfect time to start listening. So what are we going to be talking about today, Mark? Yeah, it's a, it's a review episode, as you implied, Dan. So today you and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 78, entitled Beyond Chapter 4. This issue was written by Kelly Thompson, with pencils and inks by Sarah Pacelli and Jim Toe, colors by Nolan Woodard, and Rochelle Rosenberg, and a cover by Arthur Adams and Alejandro Sanchez. Letters, of course, by VC's Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on November 10th, 2021. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened in this issue? <laughs> Here we go. In this episode, fighting back the effects of Morbius's bite, Ben theorizes that perhaps Morbius was seeking a cure for his vampirism using his radioactive blood. In the face of exhaustion, Ben lures Morbius back to his guarded apartment at the Beyond Corporation. The building's AI, Langston, allows Ben through but blasts Morbius's arm off, forcing him to flee. Ben passes out and is taken to the ER while Janine is left alone, abandoned in her apartment. Before giving Ben an antitoxin, though, Maxine hesitates, pondering the effects they could get out of letting Ben become a vampire, but ultimately is convinced to give him the antitoxin. Meanwhile, Felicia sneaks into Peter's hospital room and whispers something unheard to him, which causes him to momentarily slip out of his coma. Mary Jane and Felicia try to revive him with no luck, so MJ invites Felicia to stay and help look over him. Misty Knight and Colleen Wing attempt to bring in Morbius with a spider straitjacket drone. They capture him and promise him treatment at Beyond, 
But then Monica Rambeau shows up, destroying Beyond's drones, asking them clandestinely about what they've learned while working with Beyond. Meanwhile, Ben and Janine are on a date in the park after seeing a movie called Stegman, a comedy. We see Craven stalking them from the shadows. So that's what happens in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 78. Mark, let's get into kind of our general thoughts on the issue. So far, we've been really enjoying the Beyond era, but thought last issue was kind of a dip. I don't know. We're kind of seeing the conclusion of this this two-parter, I guess. Are you enjoying this kind of like in and out of stories quickly thing? And what do you think of this one overall? I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously the pacing is, is is welcomed, especially after what kind of preceded this for a couple of years. As you noted, I mean, the, 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 the last issue, we kind of felt a little bit of a dip and I felt this one dipped a little more. I mean, like I, I you know, I'm not going to obviously get into any kind of specific grades yet, but this kind of felt bordering on the first miss of this of beyond for me so far this issue um i mean not nothing nothing terrible but just yeah i i mean just some things i think that weren't clicking and i I don't know i think we're kind of kind of getting away from the the fun and brightness of of the first three parts of of what they've been doing here so that's kind of like my my general overview of an impression I, I don't know if I felt all, that this was all that different from the the first part of the story, although I didn't love that there was this fill-in artist already on this title. I thought, you know, Jim Toe, like, probably had a compressed timeline here to produce these pages, but it's, his work is just not up to the quality of Sarah's, uh, Sarah Pacelli, that is. Although it seems kind of typical of Pacelli these days, that she works pretty slowly and often misses deadlines. If you think about that Henry and J.J. Abrams graphic novel or whatever you want to call it, you know, that was delayed in an insane amount of time. And you could say maybe it was editorial or writing, but it seems like it was probably Pacelli. I don't know, man. I just think it's not a great sign that we're only four issues in and we're already pushing back deadlines on books. This is supposed to come out a week earlier and they pushed it back and they're bringing in fill-in artists. Maybe this thing will smooth out as it goes along and they had to rush the beginning, but it just seems odd to me that you would tout a really big artist like Pacelli and then not even get her to finish up two full issues. Also, and we talked about this last issue as well, that I, I do feel that there was something kind of lacking in Pacelli's art. And I don't know if it was because of the fact that, you know, even with the missed deadline, she was moving faster than com- than she's comfortable doing. You know, there was just, you know, some some stiffness, some kind of sloppiness I felt in some of, in some of her renderings here. Um, you know, like personally, Pacelli, for me, when this whole initiative was announced months ago, I was like, oh, wow, that like like her name was a draw. You know, like it's like that she to me, she was one of the big heavy hitters from the art side that they that they recruited for this. So I, I, I was excited to get her finally on. Amazing Spider-Man, and and yeah, between just the 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 missed deadlines, the fill-in artists, the the kind of sloppiness in the art, it's it's it, it kind of adds to that idea of what I said earlier about oh this this kind of kind of feels a little a little off-putting and and, and and disappointing in terms of what the potential could have you know could have been I guess you know before this whole creative team was announced. You know, if you ask me who would be in my top choices to take over Amazing Spider-Man, Kelly Thompson would definitely be on that list. Like, uh, n- and not just because she's a woman, 
and I've long desired there to be a female voice on this title, but also because I think she's written a really good Spider-Man and Mary Jane in books like Jessica Jones, and I'm really enjoying her Captain Marvel book. She kind of does that really good kind of stiff upper lip, but also kind of like good friend quality that is Captain Marvel and Jessica Drew. I'm I'm not, and you know, based on these two issues, I'm not really sold on Kelly Thompson as like a, like a premier voice on Amazing Spider-Man. Although I'm I'm enjoying it decently. How do you feel about her writing style and it, and its fit for this title? I think I had less of an impression of her going into this thing than you did because I, I I don't I haven't really read those stories as thoroughly as you have there are nuggets here that are I think are really enjoyable and kind of show some interesting insights and you know maybe part of it too is also like just the nature of the story and and we'll obviously get into some of this in a little bit I mean you know Peter has already been sidelined and now you know there are parts of this story where Ben is sidelined and you're kind of like you know, where's the Spider-Man and, <laughs> you know, and is that, is that truly her choice or is this kind of, you know, this is, this is the outline of this plot that was determined and, and she, you know, happened to kind of, you know, get these issues and had to kind of work around it. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to judge, but, but so far, like, you know, it, again, it's nothing, it's nothing bad. It's like, I, I'm not reading anything that's saying, oh my goodness, like, you know, do these people understand what they're writing here? But like, I don't know, like, like you, you, Zeb Wells, like, I feel like he came in on, on, on the first two issues and, and it just like the, the, the vision of what they were going for just felt very clear to me and what he want and what he was trying to get across and, you know, his mix of humor and whatnot, it just felt like, you know, well executed, very concise and get in, get in, get out. And I feel like Kelly Thompson's been a little bit more of a struggle trying to kind of find the voice a bit. So, you know, so far, you know, like it's kind of been a middling result for me. Yeah, I feel like I don't really know her Ben Riley, and maybe she's kind of figuring out that character a little bit. I think the characters that stand out are actually some of the female characters, you know, like her Maxine Danger to me is really interesting. And I and I enjoy seeing her write that character. I think about like, Christos Gage. I don't know that like Christos Gage's Spider-Man really like I, I could pick it out of the lineup, but I could definitely tell when he was writing Dr. Octopus. That seemed very clear to me. And if Maxine Danger, as she seems to be kind of shaping up here is kind of the subversive threat throughout all of this it, it is the big villain. And Kelly writes a good Maxine Danger. You know, that's a good place for her to be, you know, like writing somebody who's morality seems maybe a little bit darker than just plain shades of gray. That's really interesting to me. As I said in my summary, this story largely picks up right where the last one left off with Ben getting bitten in the neck by Morbius. And we're going to pick up with a kind of extended Morbius fight that really is like showcasing a weakened Ben who has to run away from Morbius. What did you think of this whole sequence? It was fine. I get, I mean, you know, like, and that, and not that I was expecting us to kind of pick up with Ben in in mortal danger. Although I mean, he was roughed up pretty badly by Morbius. But like you know, the last issue ends, and you know, Morbius has got his his teeth 
flesh and you know right into spider-man uh, ben riley's flesh and like ben's kind of like oh this can't be happening and then like you know when this issue picks up he's kind of gotten himself out of it although he's like you said he's very weakened and you know i don't like part of me kind of wish he saw how he got out of the bite in the first place unless morbius just decided <laughs> you know i'm done you know i don't know i mean like you know watching ben just kind of like lure him out wasn't to me the most visually interesting way they could have resolved you know a physical altercation between ben and morbius and then you know not not to nitpick a bit but i i I was a little disappointed i felt like you know morbius is coming you know and i think i said this in the last episode like morbius i came across as a real threat which we really haven't seen in a while and ben in this issue too he's kind of like I feel like he's kind of like slagging on Morbius, like as a, as you know, I can't, you know, this is, I'm going to die of embarrassment if the bite doesn't, doesn't kill me. And I'm just kind of like, it's not like Morbius is like grizzly or mindworm or something. I mean, this guy, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's a legitimate character. I mean, he's, he's, he's not necessarily a villain. He's more anti-hero-ish or maybe anti-villain-ish. I don't know. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he, anti-villain he's, sounds right. Yeah, yeah he's, he's more anti-villain than anti-hero. But like, you know, he's 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 a legitimate character, you know, you know, threat to Spider-Man, but just because of his his makeup and whatnot. So I don't know. Like I I, I again this kind of expected a little more. We didn't really visually get much outside of just, you know, like it was clever to see how Ben tried to get out of it but i don't know if that worked from like a visual storytelling standpoint i am going to be honest with you mark uh, when they blasted morbius's arm off it was a genuine shock to me like that's a level of brutality like reserved for a spider-man villain or anti-villain i'm not sure i've really seen that frequently and like the kind of mortal wound that i'm sure will be resolved off panel somewhere with X and X device, but seeing it on the page was like, oh my God, they just like took a serious hunk of flesh off of this guy. You know, they kind of undercut it with the nipple joke a moment later, but like, <laughs> I, 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 and, and they allowed him to be a threat, even missing an arm. So it is kind of like kind of living in two worlds. I guess the thing that disappointed me about it is I kind of would like to have seen something to make this encounter a little more Morbius oriented. Like, like maybe play with the like the effects of being bitten by a vampire a little bit more or have him do something that was a little more morbius like i feel like you could have swapped almost any villain in here and it and it would have fit especially given like kind of the resolution of the story i mean it's a spider-man story and there's a lot of like punching bags that get inserted into the comics but uh, we don't get morbius all that often and so you know playing with that vampirism but by, by the story's end, it's really wrapped up as if we're never going to think of Morbius again. And that's a little bit disappointing to me, even though maybe we will ultimately see him again somewhere down the line. Yeah, I mean, frankly, too, and, and, and not to not to jump ahead here, but I think like if we had kind of seen more of the effects of the bite that specific to Morbius, I think it would have set up the part with you know ben and and maxine danger a bit a bit better you know what i mean like like you said i mean it's it's you know what what are the effects is it's kind of like well ben is just like really weak and kind of you know coming in and out of consciousness here but it's not like i mean like you said how is that specific to morbius It, it it just kind of feels like you know this could have been any fight with any villain that kind of knocked him out for a bit so you know 
I'm not asking for him to grow four more arms. No, <laughs> I'll no, be clear no, on that. No, but yeah, but I, I, I mean, again, like it just, it just felt like visually there was some stuff missing that could have sold this a bit better, and and they just didn't go there for whatever reason. For for me, the height of this issue though is the scene with Ben knocked out on that the gurney or whatever in in the ER at at Beyond. You know, I know that we've been kind of circling this are spiraling around this point, which is that clearly beyond is not interested in Ben's health in a conventional manner, right? Like they see him as a product that they are going to use for whatever purpose they have. I don't know what that is. It could just be profit. We get maybe some inklings here towards like they are interested in experimentation and I think money to some degree, there may be something even more sinister going on. One, I like the visuals of like Ben's armor coming off. Like it's not just a suit. It's like a segmented armored plated suit, which is neat to kind of see the suit dissected a little bit. But the real interesting here is seeing Maxine Danger, which one never trust someone called <laughs> Dr. Danger. I think that, that that's probably something that you should take to the bank. But this scene where she's like pushing back on giving Ben the antitoxin to see like, well, what kind of side effects could we get out of this? It, it's the kind of evil that isn't just like, ha. it's like there's something more to that. And I thought that that was actually really kind of an interesting scene and, and seeing that even in be, the Beyond organization, the other people are like, that would be deeply unethical. What, like, why would we do that? So Maxine seems to be like, even in a kind of maybe ethically dubious company, going getting even more ethically dubious. I'll push back a little there where because like, yeah, I mean, like I, I kind of found that whole sequence I, to me, like it was almost bordering on like mustache twirling for me because it was just like, you know, like don't get me wrong. Like and I said this, I think, in the very, very first episode that we talked about beyond where it's like it was kind of refreshing to have a villain or an or, or, or you know, the an antagonist just be very kind of clear in in its antagonism and in its no good intentions. You know, we're not dealing with a mystery here. We're not dealing with any bait and switches. I mean, you know, we kind of knew from Jump Street something was up with Beyond and and this is coming to fruition. But like, you know, like that, that there was a part of me with that whole sequence with Maxine where I was just I mean, yes, it gets the point across. She she's a bad person <laughs> that she would even debate. this. <laughs> and, 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 but like I, I like I, I kind of felt myself as I was reading, like yelling at the comic, oh, come on. Like, 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 and, 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 and to me, it kind of reflects poorly on Ben. I mean, not that he's necessarily hearing this, but like the, 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 the evil, or, or I should say the bad intentions are so apparent. And it's like, you know, is, is Ben, he's either oblivious or complicit. And either way, it's not a good look. You know what I mean? Like, like how oblivious can you be at this point? I mean, like, you know, and we'll talk about, Janine's role too I mean and and you know kind of like how that all ties together but like if he's gonna just keep working for these people because oh well you know they're paying me too and you know it's my job and blah 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 blah, and it's like all right well you know <laughs> there, there are a lot of people in history who did bad things because you know they, it was their job to do it <laughs> so we can maybe dial back some of like the evil experimentation notions a little bit because it's, it's it just seems like a little unbelievable that this would, you know, that this person would be this, this like outwardly callous and Ben would just be cool 
to keep working with them. I don't know. That's that's my two cents. <laughs> I think it gets back to my consistent complaint throughout this series so far that I am enjoying quite a bit is like if Ben is oblivious or if he is complicit, I I want you know most of the time when people are oblivious to something, they they they're choosing to be oblivious in some way. Like it's like the benefits are so greatly outweighing the negatives that we could see why they would maybe not consciously look the other way, but like be predisposed to look the other way or be overly forgiving. And that's kind of where I'm at is like, I want to know where's Ben's heart at. Like the, the Janine stuff is, is obviously very tempting, right? Like that's a relationship that he values. Again, I, I do feel like it would, there would be a lot of value in kind of fleshing out that relationship a little bit more. And I think there's an attempt to do that in this issue in the final scene, which we're going to talk about in a, in a moment, but it almost comes counter to the point I'm trying to make, which is like, there's no inkling that these characters are seem to be on to this evilness of this country company. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a little all over the place. Let's talk about Janine though, her imprisonment. I think it's very clear that she's only thought of by beyond as a motivational tool for Ben. Like she's kept at arm's length. She's not allowed into the, the ER with him. There's a, I thought like maybe one of the more touching moments in the issue as we're, reconnecting with this character is this image of her kind of hunched over sad in her, you know, beautifully furnished apartment, which we're beginning to realize is actually just an extension of the prison that she was in before. How did you react to that moment? And do you think it's like working within the kind of larger framework of, of this beyond story? Well, we haven't really seen truly what her, thoughts are on this which is a little disappointing i mean i mean okay she she clearly wanted to be with ben when he was like in the in the operating room or surgery room or whatever you want to call it yeah she's she's being used as a tool i would say by by beyond and and it kind of goes back to what i was saying about ben earlier i mean is is this is she okay with this is she not okay with this is she plotting how to use this to do something for herself or do something for ben it's it's still kind of i feel like the, the the incentives and the motivations on both ends are a little muddied and unclear so i i, I don't know 100 percent what to make of it i mean i'll push back on that a little bit which is i think in the previous issue she definitely expressed to ben how uncomfortable she was being kind of locked away in this penthouse and I think where I'm at is I'm kind of like, I, I'm going to give it two more issues until it truly becomes a problem because we, we know we're getting 19 issues. So if we go with like just typical, like, you know, three act structure, you know, if in two issues they come to the end of this first arc and we get a decisive thing, like Janine is like, get me out of here. And Ben begins to see beyond, but like what's going on with beyond but he can't really escape it. He's like caught up in it. You know, they have leverage on him or whatever it is. I think that's enough to kind of like fuel this going forward and give us enough of a buffer. But we, it does leave us in a little bit of like, and you know, an extended exposition, exposition intro with these light adventures that are going on. I, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of mention while we're talking about beyond here. I don't know if you're reading miles Morales, Spider-Man, 
But at the end of the, his most recent issue, Beyond showed up and like basically issued a cease and desist on Miles using the Spider-Man name. And I know we've seen these previews with Miles on the cover fighting Ben. So I'm, I'm uh, that seems like very obviously like what maybe the next story arc after this Craven story is going to be is, a, you know, addressing Miles's thoughts uh, on all of this. So that's interesting. And I know that the beyond stuff is slowly going to spread across the entire spider line. It'll be interesting to see that kind of happen and chart that as it begins kind of happening throughout all these books. All right. What do we want? What do we want to do next? Dan? well, I think we should talk about the slack before we continue on with this review. All right. Sounds like a plan. So hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, like I say every week, I hang out in the Slack all the time. Just this week, we're discussing the brand new Spider-Man freshman year animated series. I'm really excited about this series. I have a little bit of uh, inside knowledge about it that I can't really say much about, but I think it's going to be really exciting for everybody. So if, uh, yeah, you want to join uh, this awesome Spider-Man community, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And uh, once you're there, let us know what you think of the new episode. These reviews are always a lot of fun and it's great to get feedback from everybody. So yeah, come join our Slack, head on over to the description for this episode and click on the link to join. All right, Mark, let's get back to talking about our uh, review of Amazing Spider-Man number 78. There's this scene that comes smack dab in the middle of the issue where we get our, like, I guess we're going to get our Peter check-ins. You know, uh, Aunt May is no longer there because she's off kind of being a rabble rouser and we've yet to see the fruition of that. You know, we've got Felicia who was teased in the last issue kind of outside the window and here she is showing up to visit Peter. What did you think of this kind of uh, little scene in the story? This to me was the most effective part of the issue. I mean, you know, like I, I, I enjoyed the dynamic here. I mean, cause you're dealing with characters with, with a complicated history and, you know, kind of, I want to call it a love triangle, but you know, like they obviously Peter has had significant relationships with with both of the the women characters here with Felicia and MJ. So kind of seeing the dynamic here, but then also they use this as an opportunity to really show growth in MJ. Not that I'm, I'm trying to think even in like the late 80s, early 90s, if MJ has ever like shown outright jealousy towards Felicia. I don't feel like she has. Like she's always kind of like you know, been like all right, I know this is this happened, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was that whole period with like with Felicia dating Flash, but I don't think MJ ever really sweated that kind of thing. Yeah, well it was again, that was more Felicia trying to get back at Peter, you know what I mean? Like that's always kind of been the, you know, it's been the other way around, but like you know, obviously, you know, what what ends up happening is as you mentioned in in the synopsis is is Felicia, you know, kind of very briefly gets a reaction from Peter who's been, you know, essentially comatose now. And MJ's just like, and you know, when MJ walks in, you know, you, 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 there's almost this moment of awkwardness, but she's like, no, you know, whatever, 
you know, I don't care who 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 it is and what fling it was. Like if if you can get life out of him, I'm good with it. Uh, you know, and then you know she kind of throws what I thought was a really good line in there, but like, but but change her outfit <laughs> in, case, in case of mercy. <laughs> like, it's like yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. Like I, it, it all felt very kind of cheeky and and meta ish, and and it just worked for me on a lot of levels. Like I really enjoyed reading these characters kind of go go back and forth a bit here i i I, like this is definitely my favorite part of the issue what do you make of like uh, there's this you know felicia says something to peter that we're not allowed to hear and i kind of hope we never find out what it is because it's almost more intriguing without without knowing about it what do you make of that getting a rise out of peter and and not anything like aunt may or mj has said you know is it just there to to like show the growth that MJ has where she doesn't get jealous or like, is there really, is there something there? I mean, it seems like such a definitive beat to include. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying, but no, I, I mean, I kind of took it as what you, you know, the, the, what you just said there in terms of like, you know, we, we, we needed a tool to kind of show that, M, you know, despite the precariousness of this situation, that MJ is not going to get jealous here. I mean, like it, it's, it's, you know, it's it's showing the growth of of not just MJ, but also just kind of the relationship of her and Peter, especially coming on the heels of everything that went into getting them back together, but not going all the way with it as some suspected they would have last time. I mean, it's like you know, here we are, we're 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 showing them in basically the ultimate mature well-grown relationship without having to put a ring on it so there you go goes to show marriage isn't everything sometimes right Uh oh i'm I'm picking i'm picking a fight dan (laughs) Uh, well don't do that but um but i want to kind of back you up which is i think this is kind of like the mature version of the peter and mj relationship that we want to see you know like i don't need to see them making out on a couch that doesn't really do much for me like this is like a character sacrificing for someone else. And that's always going to be more interesting. So right. Peter and MJ, like, I mean, I guess Peter's not really a part of this story, but like, uh, but, but in a way he is, I mean, it's about that relationship and the level of trust that has been established there. I loved her joke about like, I don't care how many love interests I need to bring in here. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. It's kind of like that fourth wall breaking. Like, I don't know that like I would refer to my wife's exes as love interests, but and it's kind of like a comic booky term. But and I also kind of like, and I don't think this is intentional, but for for my focus, I enjoyed that this is almost like a reverse of the Al Octopus War scenario, where it's like Felicia visiting Peter in the hospital. Are we gonna get like, uh, are we gonna introduce Felicia to Aunt May? <laughs> we'll, we'll get we we'll get the reverse of of Peter meeting Felicia's mom. Uh, you Your know, favorite scene knows? ever. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. So speaking of two two women talking to each other, oh my gosh, this is the Beck Dell test issue of the comic. We've got Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, and they're kind of like finishing up this incomplete Morbius storyline. You know, I to me, they still feel like some weird tangent into the world of Spider-Man, like especially as the scene ends with Monica Rambeau showing up. <laughs> I know our big joke is if the high evolutionary shows up in a comic, you're not writing the right kind of Spider-Man comic. I, I mean, I guess Monica Rambeau started her life in a Spider-Man comic, so it makes sense she shows up here. 
I, I don't know, man. This still feels really weird to me, but it, I got more invested in it this time, if only because it's interesting that like there's outside forces that seem to be spying on beyond, which means like other people are in on that. There's something very wrong going on at the beyond corporation. At least it, it's enough for me to consider buying that dot B E Y issue, which who am I kidding? I'm going to buy it anyway, but it feels a little more justified. I kind of want to know what's going on with these people. I mean, I get what you're saying, but like, you know, as you, as you kind of led, led off with, I mean, this still all feels really out of place in Spider-Man, you know, like, I, I, like there's a part of me that's like, are, are, are there characters that could like play these roles and get something across that are, are for lack of a better term, Spider-Man characters, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I just, you know, are there members of the Avengers or I, I mean, not that I associate Spider-Man with the Avengers, but, you know, Marvel has for the last 20 something years. So I guess I have to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it just it just seems like and OK, you know, Monica Rambeau, obviously from from WandaVision and MCU, I kind of get. But like, I, I, you know, the 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 Colleen Wing and, and Misty Knight, I'm just I am I'm not getting it. And I'm like, what what are we what are we trying to push here with the two of them beyond beyond just this dot B E Y issue that we need to have them in here? Like, it just totally feels like Marvel team up from the 70s where it was like, OK, who's a character that's got a book with the sagging sales or, you know, we're trying to get into a spinoff and like, well, let's just team them up with Spider-Man. And, and, you know, so it just, it just seems very random to me, even if that, I, that's the strange thing is I, I don't know that there's a, like a Colleen wing and Misty night book that's spinning out of that dot B E Y issue. So like, what are they using that to like, to prop up? Right. I mean, maybe they just have a really good story they want to tell. I mean, I, is it is it Jed McKay who's writing that issue or is it Kelly Thompson who's writing that issue? I believe it's Jed McKay. So then I bet there's a really good story there. I mean, not not to like not to like to re, like play my hand, but I think Jed McKay is one of the better writers at Marvel. So maybe he approached them with like just a killer pitch for these characters. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I, 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 and, you know, we'll give it a chance. But I, 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 I just... You know, you don't have a lot of Peter in this issue. You don't you don't even have a lot of Ben relative in this issue. So to kind of spend so much page space on on these three and specifically Misty and Colleen, I, I'm just not it's not clicking for me. You know, we'll see what that we'll see what the spinoff book is for now. So, yeah, well, I want to talk about that, like Ben Riley's kind of role in, in this issue and in this book so far. I, I, I've already said I kind of feel like I don't quite know Ben's buy-in with the whole beyond thing. And then you, you knock him out in this issue and you literally turn him into a passive character. I don't really like, there's not a lot of like tension or conflict that I feel around the character right now. And I just, I wonder how much more juice this story would have if like Peter didn't give Ben his blessing before slipping into a coma. You know, I, I just feel like there might be more for him to prove and that might kind of be more like, a, I mean, that might not be the story they want to tell, you know, but I, I do feel like I would have a little more buy-in to like Ben's actions as like Spider-Man as a Spider-Man with something to prove and maybe like leaning into Beyond's help to do that. That might just be like the, that little like bit of tension that would elevate everything. Again, it might not be the story they want to tell, but I, I can't help but think like, 
maybe that wasn't the right choice to kind of like you know, give this character a blessing in that manner. What, what do you think about that? No, I agree. And, 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 and again, it kind of ties back to what we were saying earlier about Ben and his, you know, obliviousness slash complicitness. I mean, you know, like if I, if, if he, if there was a sense of tension or desperation or whatever with him and, and, and this role, I think it would make maybe either one of those reactions, oblivious or complicitness make more sense, you know, but like, it still kind of feels like he's just like, yeah, I'm going to be Spider-Man again, guys, you know, like, and, and then Peter's cool with it. And, you know, and like, you're just kind of like, where's the conflict? You know, like there, there should be conflict. I mean, it's, it's, you could say, oh, it's not the story they want to tell, but like, I mean, this is an active choice by this editorial team that like, no, we're going to take Peter not completely out of the book, but mostly out of the book and make the focus Ben. So we, we need to justify it and they're not justifying it yet. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I it still just kind of feels like, no, this is just what it is. And it's like, eh, you know, I, I'd like to see more of a justification, whether it's, you know, Ben trying to prove himself in a certain way, or, you know, he's, he, he needs this for some reason with or without, Peter's consent. I don't know. Like, it just need, like you said, it needs a little more juice. I think. What's to say this couldn't be a Peter story, right? Like beyond approaches him and says like, we're going to help you upgrade Spider-Man. You know, we saw you get like really grievously injured during hunted or not hunted. Last remains. Last. No, not even last remains. What was the past story that we oh, just sinister read. war sinister yeah. war sinister war that's it you know like how can we help you up your game you know right, right now i don't know what like what makes us inherently a ben riley story and i'm sure it will play out but right now i'm still like a little bit unsold on the on the concept um i think the thing that really like made me feel that way was the final scene in this issue where it's like he's just on a date with janine and it just felt really odd to have him have like this abrupt recovery from being bitten by a vampire and totally out of it on an ER table to just like, uh, like uh, I don't know if it was later that night or like a day later, they're just kind of str- chilling around town. And we've established that there's this almost like um, drone, you know, like nanny state for both those characters, but they don't, that does not seem to be very, very present here. And Janine doesn't seem to be expressing any of that hesitancy. They're both just kind of like dreamy couple walking through Central Park. And I don't know, it seemed to kind of like jettison a lot of the kind of like emotions that we've been building up in the previous scenes. All the kind of like sell this love story and to, you know, tag Craven in at the end there. It was a really odd transition into the scene I found. Yeah, I, I I would agree. So, what was what did you think of of Craven? Or is this technically? Am I allowed to call him Crayju? Or is that is that an Alan Shurstel, uh <laughs> trademark? <laughs> I think that's an Alan Shurstel trademark. I, although I'm now I'm completely forgetting how we even arrived at Crayju. Well, oh, Craven Junior. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Craven Junior. Okay, Crayju. We, we we can keep Crayju going. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that, even though it just sounds awful. Yes. But, yes. But, um, well, I just have to remind everybody every time we say the word Crayju. But here's the thing: it doesn't even look like Crayju. 
you? Like, yeah. was he just? Did he just have temporary tattoos on in the last last <laughs> little, time? You know, little, like little like wipe ons or whatever you call it, <laughs> iron ons. I mean, I mean th- that is a character assassination if I've ever heard one. That like this hardcore craving the hunter guy is using temporary tattoos. That seems to me like something the editors should have caught. That this guy is just like lacking his distinctive tattoos, which was the very thing to kind of set him aside. And I'm like, are we just going to treat this just like it's Craven? And I guess like with the setup of Kraju being a clone, that was always the goal was like kill Craven, but not really. And we'll just go back to treating like Craven's like an acceptable bad guy again. But like, I don't know, man, at least give me, give me the tattoos. Like at least get, do me that favor of pretending it's a new guy. I don't disagree with you there, Dan. <laughs> Give me the tattoos. That said, I, that said, I'm excited for a Craven story. And like some of the covers that they've shown are so weird looking. I'm like, all right, g- give me the Craven story. I hope it's like a, a fun adventure with Craven again that like we can eschew all the suicidal stuff and just have like a good old fashioned Craven story. You know, maybe they'll go to the zoo in Central Park and let out some animals. I mean, great. Like, like, give me old-fashioned Craven stuff. Yeah, I mean, and, and frankly, it's going to be good to see, uh, uh, and it sounds like a multi-issue arc of, Sp- of Spider-Man fighting a bad guy. I mean, I know we kind of got that with Morbius, but not exactly. I mean, it was more, I mean, it's always different with Morbius. But, like, yeah, like, you know, like, Spider-Man is in a situation where he's got to he's gotta beat Craven. you know? Like, yay. I like those stories. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. All right. So let's give a grade to this one. Um, Mark, I'm, I'm giving this one a C plus. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm going to be lower on you that I'm going to be C minus on this. I mean, like I said, it, it, this isn't like terrible, but you know, like it, this, it, to me, it's the weakest of the four we've gotten so far. So. All right. That's totally fair. Well, great. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this review. So if you, you know, if you did and you find this show entertaining and valuable, Please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, become a member of our Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, I mean, this is one of them. So uh, why not take $3.99, that's the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week they come out, instead of waiting for them to arrive in our public podcast feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print by artist Ron Friends. He's created a lost page of The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man for Us, which was inked by Brett Breeding, and it depicts Tim and Spidey sharing laughs over Tim's Spider-Man comic collection. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. Yeah, and right now we're in the middle of uh, the Hobgoblin trilogy of, of episodes that we're doing, and I think Nick's covers have for those episodes have been really stellar, and I can't wait for everybody to see the next two. I think they're going to really uh, blow everybody away and, and make for really fun desktop backgrounds. 
so that's really fun as you're waiting for that uh, amazing Ron Friends and Brett Breeding artwork. Yeah, we know this is a hard time for everybody coming out of the pandemic, inflation, yada yada, um, as it is for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join us you know, on our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. You can follow the link in the description to find out all the details and Lastly, again, a thank you to everybody who already makes this show possible. There's nearly 200 of you, and we can't thank you guys enough. That's awesome, Dan. But alas, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, as always, this episode was edited by our amazing editor, Rick Coast. We got production support from our good friend, Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. So like we just said, remember, this episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout right when the comic was first released. So again, consider joining our Patreon if you want to hear this, you know, the week it comes out and and be right up to date with us on all of our comic reviews. But um, Mark, we're going to wrap up the show here. So until we go camping together and I get bit by a snake and you decide not to give me the antitoxin, just, you know, see what happens. What's our motto? Our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Mark, give me the anti-toxin. Uh, let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> of the amazing spider talk. talk.